Hello, my beautiful woman ink listeners. We're back. My guest this week is Amy Arrett, founder and CEO of Madison Reed, an at-home and in-salon hair dye company with over 50 locations and 55 plus color shades, free of all of the bad stuff, parabens, ammonia, sulfates, and more. Amy has over 30 years of business and operating expertise as a four-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and social mission visionary. Amy is a venture partner at True Ventures, focusing on investments in consumer and e-commerce startups. Prior to founding Madison Reed, Amy was a general partner at Maverin, a leading venture capital firm co-founded by former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz, focused on investments in consumer-facing companies. She also previously served as Chief Asset Gathering Officer at E-Trade, where she ran a $200 million business. Amy was featured on Fast Company's first ever Queer 50 list of LGBTQ women and non-binary innovators in business and tech in 2020. I absolutely loved this interview with Amy, you guys. Amy is such a true veteran entrepreneur, and I was taking in every piece of advice. It's very rare, actually, that I am able to be in an interview and truly take in advice and think about how it applies to where I am right now in my life and my career. I am usually very much focused on you guys and kind of out-of-body experience and hosting mode until I listen to the episode back is when I usually really hear all of the advice and take it in. But in this case with Amy, I just instantly had this feeling of like, you're my mentor and you don't even know it yet. And she has just been through all of the ups, all of the downs and everything in between. And I just have so much respect for her. And I feel like I could ask her a million more questions and just learn so much from her. So I am honored to have her. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. Now let's get over to my conversation with Amy. Welcome to the Woman Inc. Podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Amy, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course, I've been very excited. Been researching you, learning lots about you, and I'm very inspired by your career. So one, I of course want to dive into everything Madison Reed, but before that, can we kind of go back to you are a four-time founder at this point. You've had, you call yourself an accidental venture capitalist, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. Um, I can relate to that. And I kind of want to go back to first 
founder, Amy, building your first company and what that version of you looked like. First founder, Amy, probably more surety than I have now, (laughs) Uh, which, you know, I think that we find ourselves through wisdom and struggles and those kinds of things. So first founder, Amy, probably had more surety than she should have. Always really focused on people. So that's been a constant. Didn't have as uh, my first company was not venture backed. I had a very small 401k and I leveraged all of it myself and took out credit cards and then convinced a father, a friend of mine's father to put in a hundred grand. And then I paid him back within six months and never took any more money. And that was, it was a different business, but we were profitable and self-funded. And so I was scrappy, you know, trying to make it work, but I wasn't venture backed and I hadn't, I didn't have as much experience, but very people focused and good at focusing on what I wanted and then accomplishing that. So very, very driven and no work-life balance, zero. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds pretty um, quintessential entrepreneur. Yes, when you first founded your first company, you were, were you right out of college or where were you at in your No, I had actually been an investment banker and then I went back to business school and then I went back to being an investment banker and then I founded uh, the first company shortly after that. The second stint, it, as I said, you know, it wasn't good enough the first time that I didn't, it wasn't good for all those involved. I had to give it a second chance. And so <laughs> I didn't, in, in being investment banker just didn't really appeal to me. It's less of a team sport and I'm sort of a team sport person. So I, for, I started this first company then. And Did you always want to start your own company or was there a point? No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. always oh, yeah, was. Okay. Uh, how do I say this? I don't want this to come out. Through. Like I'm not particularly great at working for other people. And, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, if that keeps being a constant in your life, then you start to realize, oh, geez, maybe it's me. You know, I, it's not the other people. Right. And so I just learned that. And then I said, okay, this would be better if Amy wasn't working for other people. So what would it be like to do that myself? And uh, I think it's consistently true. After number two, I actually went to a bigger company or after number one of startup, I went to a bigger company that was called E-Trade at the time. And that too was like, oh, this feels familiar. Um, (laughs) This, I, it's really cool. And I love what we're doing, but I'm not so good at this, right? Because I align, how do I say this? Like running a company for me is having to align mission and purpose and getting people on the track to align mission and purpose. And so, you know, mission and purpose is typically within a founder's sort of DNA. And so um, whenever I kind of feel like mission and purpose are not linked with each other, which happens a lot in other bigger companies, right? Because there's a lot of it's very hard at scale to align mission and purpose, right? We're, we are, by the way, going through that, right? Because we're a much bigger company now with more people and you, it's just not a headquarters or a handful of stores. It's actually out in the field. You know, how do you get that mission immersed 
with people, which is why we're so particular about our branding and how the store looks and the training and right. Because it's all those things. Like I had the good privilege of, you know, working with Howard Schultz when I was a venture capitalist. And the one thing you start realizing pretty quickly is like, you know, a Starbucks when you walk in one. Right. And like, what is that? And, you know, there's been ups and downs like any other company, but what is what happens in that thing where you know the magic when you see it? And I think it's when the brand holds a soul with a mission and a purpose. Very hard to continue that once companies get past a certain size. Yeah, I can imagine. And I was actually going to ask you that of, of what you learned working with Howard Schultz. But yeah. would you say that was a big thing of building the identity of your oh, brand? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the guy is, you know, a genius of understanding, you know, taking this thing that was unlikely coffee and turning it into, a, you know, a household word. And, you know, he had a vision, he had a mission and purpose, the way it was going to get done and the baristas were going to get paid benefits. And so I like it's, yeah, I learned a lot from that. And I learned, you know, I was involved with Howard, you know, via a uh, Mavron, you know, which is the venture fund, and we only invested in consumer. And so then the ability for me to see that in other people's business models, right, and and experience when it worked and experience sometimes when it doesn't work, which is the name of the game adventure, right? You learn just as much and maybe more on the things that don't work as you do the things that do work. You know, I used to say all the time that, you know, life over a period of time is, you know, it's pattern recognition, right? As I call it. And, you know, you can't be great at it, but you see enough things over time to be like, oh, that one isn't good. I'll stay away from that. Or that's my zone of genius. And that's where I should operate. So, yeah, I learned a lot. It, you know, was an honor. And, you know, I always had that craving for that operating DNA again. So the reason that I didn't stay being a full-time venture capitalist had nothing to do with Mavron or Howard. It had everything to do with that, like, yearning is the best word yeah. that I would call it, right? To just build a team and take on something. And, you know, um, I guess hair color is probably um, as esoteric as coffee was, you know, 25 years ago. So maybe we're onto something here. Oh, and I'm sure meeting with all of these passionate entrepreneurs, you're probably going crazy, like, part of you <laughs> needing to get back to creating. Well, I, I would always like be in the pitches, listening to them and then thinking like, oh, you know, this is what I want to be doing. I remember being at board meetings and I kind of was was I was the board member and I would remember this feeling like, oh, my God, I just am so I wish I was in that seat. Right. Where the other board members were like in their as I say, in their Teslas, right? Because that's what VCs do. <laughs> I don't have a Tesla. Um, they were like in their cars, gone, right? Right after the board meeting because that, you know, it just takes two different sides of your brain. One isn't better than the other. I would say that I'm so much of a better operator now than I was because I was a VC. Oh, I'm sure you probably yeah. learned so much on that yeah. side. So let's fast forward then to Madison Reed. Mm. So... What was it within you? What was the point where you're like, I am going to build a hair care plan? <laughs> when I saw the size of the prize, meaning how big it was, when I figured out that the repetitive nature of the business model is perfect for the kind of business unit economics that you would want or need. It has very high margins, right? Rep repetition or continuous use is built into the practice, yep. right? It's like, I'm not, 
having to do something to buy have you buy the second shirt which you yes. might not need recurring but revenue if, yes subscribable which was great uh technology enablement meaning it was clear to me that the that the what existed was really bad mm. so there was no assistance right and in addition you know that terrible aisle at Walgreens you know highly toxic so i knew that we could innovate and l let me go back. When I was a venture capitalist, I used to think about things in three vectors. And I would only take one out of three risks at early stage. Mm. But I wouldn't take the, the one piece that I'm going to share with you. So the first vector was size of the market. And I could actually and invest in things that I wasn't certain because if they were good enough, they should either create a market or they would take market share from some adjacent market and create a big market. Check. Hair color, size of the market, check. Two was product innovation. And I would trade size of the market as more of a risk than I would product innovation. Because product innovation is sort of everything. And in our case, we knew I knew right off the bat that the ingredients were terrible in existing hair color right away. That the unboxing, like to even call it a box, is a you know stretch of one's imagination. Like the... <laughs> terrible gloves and the horrible componentry and nothing was recyclable. There was no sustainability. It smelled terrible, right? It just was a bad experience. No instructions that you could. So I knew there was product innovation we could do. And then when I coupled that with technology innovation, meaning that the your phone could be this mechanism to color match you and we could build an algorithm and predict what color you were going to be by just having you answer these 18 questions in the quiz, right? So that was like, ooh, juicy. And then the third thing, the third vector was always people and team. And as a venture capitalist, I would never take the people team risk. Hmm. So that was, so it left me always with two, right? So when I saw like, oh, I could build a great team check, we could have product and addressable market check, check. Then I was like, okay, we can, we can figure this out. Now, I knew nothing about hair color zero. And so, you know, there was a, there was a belief system that we could want, that I could and my co-founders could wind their way through, you know, getting to the right people. And what you also learn as a venture capitalist is like, if you want to go deep in a subject, you can figure it out. Like you can find experts, right? right. So that's, that's kind of what I did. Always. Yeah. And one of the things on your must list was not years and years of experience in that sector. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? The team and will figure out what you need to figure out. Exactly. So once I saw that, I thought there was a really big chance here. What I didn't see, just in all honesty, like all transparency, is I didn't know how much we could um, actually disrupt both sides. Like I knew we could disrupt the shelf. But remember, only 52% of women in the U.S. color at home. So I was sitting with almost 50% of the market thinking like, well, I'm not going to get them. So then what to do, right? So I would say that the longer shot, the e I wouldn't say easier, the most, the, the shot about disrupting the box, the at-home market felt like was right in our line of sight. And we've done a pretty good job there. The line of sight of the salons was a more distant line of sight that I didn't necessarily know that we could disrupt. And now it's, you know, totally crystal clear. Yeah, which I'm sure is a pleasant surprise. It's better to go that way than the other way. Yeah, we've had some of the other <laughs> ways. Yep. So first of all, I love the product. 
so much. I love that you guys have taken away the toxicity and all of these chemicals that are in hair care. I just think it's it's amazing. You can just smell it. I love that you talk about like not even just for consumers, but for hairstylists who are sitting and smelling this all day. Eight hours, 10 hours a day, you know, five days a week. Like how you can't there's no way that you could tell me that that doesn't have some impact. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. So now, obviously, you know, that was the moment where you you knew that's what you were going to do at this point in building this business, which I know has insane growth and rapid growth. What would you say is the hardest part of being the leader of this company? (laughs) Oh, wow. How long do you have? Um, (laughs) long time (laughs) okay good hardest part when you lead from love there's always a gravitational pull that the world has to sort of convince you that that's nonsense so the hardest part about being the leader is that i have to trust this piece inside of me that's kind of the north star and even when that's not clear to other people or even when it seems like it's a good like what what do you mean like we wouldn't do that or I have an internal meter inside of me, right? And so how do I continue to follow that North Star even in tough moments, you know, and be your authentic and transparent self, right? So I just wear a lot of things on my sleeve. You know, I'm very accessible for the entire company. And people like all the time are like, well, how does that scale? Well, I don't know, (laughs) but I'm not worried about how does it scale? I'm just doing it, right? I still interview everybody Before we make an HQ offer, I interview all of the leaders going into the hair color bars, the GMs, the district managers. And the reason that I do it is really simple, is I think when a founder or CEO doesn't pay attention to culture, eventually the rails come off, you know, the train comes off the track. It just does. Because human beings' gravitational pull is you know, to drama, to like all that stuff that happens, right? And so if you let that be the predominant culture, then you'll just eventually move your company from any specialness to just the lowest common denominator, right? And that can never happen here, nor will it ever happen here. (laughs) So, you know, how does that sync up in the face of growth? And there's a thing that I, I still spend a third of my time on culture. Right. And it's like in every conversation I have, every interaction, like I'm holding that thing inside of me, which is like, does this seem like the fair thing to do or the right thing to do? Or how does that sync up with the five cultural values? And so, yeah, it gets it's hard. And yet it's I'm again, I'm a mission purpose person. So come hell or high water, I am going to prove that if you lead from love and transparency and authenticity and you really are honest with your people and you explain the truth, just exactly what's happening, and you pay it forward in the benefit of the doubt of letting people know that I actually think there's a genius in you and I want to help you unlock that, the best will come out. And so, you know, it's served me well so far here. That doesn't mean there haven't been bozo mistakes that Amy's made, you know, about 50 a day. Um, But it's more, how do I learn from them? How do I teach 
people that there should be a culture with no blame, but only the ability to realize that every single stumble we have along the way is just a, a window that opened into an opportunity that will get better. That's incredible. And that's also, I would say, very rare to have the CEO and founder interviewing every single uh, executive at the company, not just executive. Sounds like you're doing a lot more. Yeah, I'm doing it because I'm not really vetting for if they could be a great FP&A person or a great right. logistics ops person. I'm doing it because I want to see if they're additive to our culture. Yeah. And, and by the way, the more important thing, Jenna, is, is our culture additive to them? Hmm. The traditional workplace tells you the company's in charge. People just work for us. Right. I think that is just a is a grave mistake. Mm. The traditional workplace has is that those days are over. I mean, look at what happened during COVID, right? Yeah. Like the great resignation is real. Well, why is it real? Because human beings went through and still have gone are going through this enormous like, you know, none of us can say we lived through one of these before. Right. So this is a sea change of everything in people's lives, everything. Every decision, where do you live? How do you work? Well, you know, what do you want for your children? I mean, just go down the list. You know, what's most important to me? I mean, how many conversations hopefully you've had with your friends, which like, oh, there was a little bit of a silver lining. Like all of a sudden I realized like going out to dinner or all those other things that you put some level of status on were meaningless compared to keeping your family safe and understanding that, your health and time are precious assets, right? So when you look at that and you think about what does that really mean, it means that people in the workforce were just like, okay, now I can look at me and what works for me. And I think it, you know, it's it's hard. You know, look, we've hired hundreds of people, not just in the stores, but hundreds of people for HQ that are not in San Francisco. We would have never made that. And so what role is the office now? Like what so my point about this is like I'm vetting for that thing where I know that what we have is what the person wants and where the person can thrive, not just they're great for us. It's got to be great for all of my, our team members, too. Yeah, no, I think it's amazing that you do this. And I'm so big on culture. I think it's everything. But I also, while you're saying this, I'm like, that this is very inspiring. And then also, I feel like you must be completely exhausted I don't know if you know the Enneagram. If you don't, yes, you should, yeah, yes. Okay. So I'm an eight. I don't know what you are. Yeah. Um, I'm a three. Yeah, that makes sense. You're yeah. very well put together. You look great. And <laughs> no. I have my baseball cap on and kind of not, not enough makeup. Um, <laughs> you look great. Um, but the thing about the eight is they are the, you know, energize, you know, so energizer. So the, the people that work with me say, you know, Amy is literally, she's, uh, you know, a 110 volt plugged into a 220 plugged into a 440 and she's got an 880 generator in the back just in case the energy gets a little low. You know, I don't, I mean, yeah, there are days where it feels exhausting, but um, we have a saying at Madison Reed, um, you know, it drives me insane when people say, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this or I must do this, right? You know, getting to a place in life where you get to do things. So our saying at Madison Reed is we get to do this. Love it. And so I get to do this as an honor. Who gets to be on this ride? Like, you know, from where I came, 
you know, my gratitude is abundant every day. I get to do this. I get to do this crazy business that empowers its customers and makes them feel great about themselves in a time in the world where like, you know, we need more of this. We need more love, right? We need more positive energy and less drama and negativity. And then in addition to it, I get to have all these people be on this crazy ride. And I just hope and pray every single day, honestly, like when I shut my eyes at night, I hope and I pray and I think like, oh, could it be true that we actually made people's lives better? Could that be true? Right. You know, the 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 folks that work in our stores, you know, it's that in our entire workforce, 83 percent of people that work at Madison Reed are women, you know, over 50 percent are people of color like this is not frivolous. This is important for change in the world, right? Equality, you know, working hard, being recognized for your contributions. Like these are things that companies, if you really can change people's lives and their kids' lives, like that's the part that I go to bed at night and I'm like, I can't wait for tomorrow because we can keep on doing this. That's so powerful. And I love that you've taken an industry that has been around forever. And just by being intentional with it, you've created complete change um, in people's lives, which is beautiful. So I, I heard something that you said in an interview that I loved and identified with very much. You said that you have a list of people <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. <laughs> Who you write down their names <laughs> when they do not believe in you or they doubt you. And I love this just so you can thank them. And I want to know one, how big is this list? And very two, big. Very big. Have you ever Long. gotten to the point where you have sent the email or made the phone no, call thinking no. that? No, yeah. Okay. No. Uh, well, first of all, the whole fact that I don't or haven't must burn some of them anyway, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. they've heard me say it. They're like, oh, when's that coming? Um, <laughs> well, I haven't accomplished 100% of our goals yet. You okay. see, you see the, the real kicker of this is that how amazing would it be for us to create billions, not millions, but billions of dollars of value in a women's market you know, where every guy in the world, do you know how many men have said to me when I've pitched them, the total addressable market can't be big enough. It's crazy. And I'm like, have you looked at your visa bill? Like, have you checked what's happening here? Like, this is nuts. This is like, this is like saying that there, I, I mean, I hate to like, this is like saying like, you know, toilet paper doesn't exist and won't be purchased anymore. This is like, it's just so absurd, right? From a gender standpoint. So that's one. Two is, so we're creating billions of dollars of value too, is like, we're just doing this in the US as a global business. We haven't even started yet. Number three, it's sort of like how many companies think every day about putting less fortune, what I would call empowering a workforce that has not had the same opportunities. How many people can say that with the surety that you're trying to do it in a way that's equitable, fair, open, growth happens, right? So I don't doubt anything that we're doing. 
I am just, you know, now whether the company goes public, whether I mean, whatever that is, you know, this company will have earned it and we will be ringing a bell for every woman that's ever been told, no, too small, you know, nice little girl, you know, you're you seem smart. Well, thank you. Um, and, you know, um, and we, you know, and there's a lot of women that go on that list that have done that. And we need to we stand on each other's shoulders. We do. We need to st- we need to continually lift each other up. We need to continually have role models for girls to say you can be good in math and science, by the way, and you can friggin' do anything that you want to do in life. There are no limitations, right? So, you know, it, the, the metaphor of my list is just a metaphor that is sort of like I'm competitive. I'm somebody said said to me recently, I. Um, you know, you're you're a killer, but you're a kind killer. I said, okay, well, I'll take that. Um, I love that. You should trademark that. Yeah, but I, my point is, like, the list is just a metaphor for doubting. And I think women get doubted all the time. All we the doubt time. ourselves. Of course. Right? Like, any yes. Ex- and so <laughs> the whole construct when you're in a gender role is like, well, I can't, I shouldn't, I... So for me, it's just a reminder. And it's not like sometimes I hear when people say it and it's, oh, like, does that sound too vicious? Does that sound like, no, it's just a reminder. And it's a reminder to open the aperture to people that don't ever doubt anybody. Don't ever doubt anybody, any woman, any person of color, any, anything. Because when people, when they, here's what I know. When you get a group of people with a mission and a purpose, who believe they're operating from the best of themselves, watch out. That is so, so good. Is there something, I know that the company's named after your daughter and you, yeah. you mentioned not even just your daughter, but just what that represents as a metaphor yes. for all yes. the girls yes. who want to live their dream and go after what they want. Mm. Is there something that you like shakes you at your core where you're like, I wish the woman in the room didn't do that or I wish like she knew this or when (laughs) women are teaching or is there something where you're like, you know, that kind of irks you that you want women to know. Don't be subservient. Yeah. I have seen this happen often where the woman comes in and right away she's feeling less than and you Mm -hmm. can feel it in the dynamic and so it plays out. So, you know, it doesn't come easily, but like be confident that you're great because you are. Very few people get to a place where they can think of a business idea, you know, articulate it, you know, accomplish things that they do. So to me, it's always that I feel that. And I think part of our job in life is to educate allies because allyship is really how things change, you see. Right. Things, you know, I'm gay, I'm out, you know, you know, whoop de doo. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like people are like, oh, okay, whatever. I like your shirt, you know, I mean, all right. And yeah, yeah, well, it's just, you know, I've, I always look at things in life that people, 99.9% of the people are loving and have great hearts and they just haven't been educated. So that's the way I approach things in life, right? Yeah. Just exposure, way. right? Mm-hmm. So, What I try to explain to people like all the time about how we need to stand on each other's shoulders is like when my wife and I were first together, there was no gay marriage, right? And we were early to have a kid. We had a kid, you know, 19 years ago. Like that was (gasps) blasphemy, right? Like how how are you going to do that? You know, and um, (laughs) no, wow. And you know, 
And what I think about now about this is that gay rights movement never happened because gay people talked to each other and said, hey, I think we should be able to get married, huh? And then the other person said, yeah, oh, that's great, right? It happened because we educated straight people as allies, okay? And this is what we're up against around misogyny, gender, racism. Like, allyship is the key because that's the door that unlocks the rest. And so I also spend time trying to explain to men in my life who I love dearly, and I have a ton of men in my life who are, you know, some of my best friends, honestly, that the, the allyship of what they stand for is what really makes the change. Because then if other men see it, they're like, oh, wow. And it's just education. And so part of the process of what everyone goes through is just education. There's fear. There's fear that a guy has a fear that he's going to say something wrong. It may not be in his heart to say something wrong, right? So the more that we open that up, the more that when somebody says something that's like a doofus, you stop and you say, you know, I love you, but can I explain why that sounded this way? You know, rather than you're all blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't believe in any of that. You know, what I believe is that by educating people, opening up your heart, explaining why and who, the world does have the possibility to change. So, you know, I look at all this and I think that part of why I'm competitive and part of why this is important to me is like, I talk to eighth grade girls. Like it's one of the things that just over the years, somebody asked me once at a school and then it just kind of continued, right? And I asked them, the first question I asked them, Jenna, like they're all there and when it used to be in person and it will be again, they would sit on these steps, right? And I'd say, you're in eighth grade. You're going to go to high school, at least in California next year. How many of you were, when you were three or four, wanted to be a princess? Like everybody's <laughs> hand would go up. You know, maybe there's yeah. an occasional one or two. Like how many of you wanted a handsome prince to save you? How much of like, why? And then the, the girls would go, well, because of Disney movies, because of what we, because of the messages, because of the, so what is it saying to every girl? It's saying you're not capable by yourself. Right. And we can buy into that. And even though I'm gay, there are still gender messages for me. Right. Which is sort of like, don't be too loud in the room. Don't be too smart. Don't be right. And so, yeah, but I have never believed anger is the way to solve things. I've never believed that the way you do this is just force this on people. The way to do these things is by educating, learning, being curious being trained, being right. And I think once we do that, yeah, there'll be, there's going to be a lot of texts. Um, <laughs> and they're, and yeah. they're, and, and I hope what the texts are, are not like, oh, GC, look at me, us. I hope what the texts get interpreted is as, wow, I learned something. Yes. So good. There's so many bits of this that are just so powerful. So, for Madison Reed, what is, as a last follow-up, well, I guess, that, yeah, last question. Okay. What is the thing that you're most excited about looking into the future of Madison Reed? Great question. Uh, <laughs> international. We've covered that. Yeah. This omni-channel approach is really different. And I think we are the example that will be the North Star for many people. You know, a 50-50 split between somebody who never wants to do their hair. Right. Like what I try to tell people when we had only an at home business, like, oh, I can't believe someone isn't using you. I'm like, you need to understand something. There's nothing against Amy or Madison Reed. 
they're just never going to do their hair at home, which is perfectly fine, right? Which is great to know that. So I am excited about our ability to prove that making this product accessible to her and him, because we have men as customers, anywhere that a person is, and that we're just, I am agnostic. If you want to buy our product at Ulta, great. If you want to come into a store and get a service from us, great. If you want to order online, pick up and store, great. If you want it delivered every six weeks to your door, great. Here's what I am really focused on. We are a prestige product in a sea of mass. Mm -hmm. And we will never produce anything in the company that has the, you know, eight ingredients that we've deemed to be eight free. Mm -hmm. We are absolutely focused on making i'm super excited about we have some new products coming out this summer i think they're amazing you know i'm super excited about some of the new channels i'm super you know we'll end up the year with 80 hair color bars 80 when we closed in march of 2020 when we closed for covid we had 12 wow okay so we're sitting we've opened 50 during covid 50 during covid and because there's a need and because we're going to fill it. And, you know, people haven't seen anything yet. Like, I believe you go forward because it's an education process five years from now. We'll be the brand. We'll be the people that have changed this industry brick by brick. These things never happen. I've been at this eight years. People ask me all the time, like, oh, well, that's a long time. I'm like, to build an iconic brand? I don't <laughs> think so. And we no. haven't, we're just getting started, right? So, like... We have a great team, great energy, great products, great distribution channels. And, you know, we need to now execute. There's no, we don't, we're not looking for the country to attach ourselves to. We know what the North Star is and now it's execution. So I just feel very grateful to be here. I do. And I think about all the women that never got funded and the women that's come before me and the women that came out of great colleges and had to be somebody's executive assistant because, you know, that's where you went, right? Like, honestly, that was the path, right? And there's so many women that have helped me, like so many women in my career early on as an investment banker who are like, you're a smart ass, like, and you pull me aside, like, don't do that, Um, (laughs) you know, or do this. And in good ways, yeah, gave me career opportunities that, were probably beyond what I was capable of or thought I was at that moment. And we must continue to push hard here because, you know, for all the little girls listening out there or people that identify as girls, you deserve to do anything you want to do in your life. And there is your gender or your gender choice should never never, ever, ever be the gating item. So, so good. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. Beyond inspiring. Thank you. I really, uh, I loved being here. Your questions were awesome. And thank you for doing your work. Thank you so much. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.